You're listening to Mount Carmel Baptist Church's weekly Sunday worship service message at 11 a.m. Mount Carmel is located in Demarest, Georgia. To learn more, visit mtcarmeldemarest.com or facebook.com forward slash mtcarmeldemarest. Thanks for listening. Romans chapter 1, verses 21 through 23. We're in a series in Romans. It's Romans part 5C, or as I've given up and just called it Romans 7, all right? And the title of today's sermon is The Substitute. The Substitute. There was a movie released in 2007, uh, which received many award nominations. I watched it. It's okay. You're not missing much. But it's entitled Lars and the Real Girl. Lars is a lovable introvert whose emotional baggage has made it impossible for him to socialize and make friends. His brother and sister-in-law worry about him. After years of what is almost solitude, Lars announces to them he has a girlfriend named Bianca, and he met her on the internet, and they are overjoyed. Lars brings Bianca over to his brother and sister-in-law's place, and they're stunned. She is a life-size plastic woman. (sighs) They don't know what to say or to do because Lars is treating her like she's alive, like she's the real thing. They consult the family doctor who explains this is a delusion that Lars has created. For what reason, the doctor doesn't know. But she suggests that the family and the rest of the community should all go along with it. Treating Bianca like a real person and helping Lars interact with real people. And the story goes. We laugh at Lars. But the Apostle Paul contends that you and I have done the exact same thing with God. In Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 23, Paul is demonstrating that God's righteous anger has already come upon us as we experience the consequences of our sins against God. Paul begins to charge us with specific crimes we have committed against God. It all begins with the suppression of the truth in unrighteousness. We've already discussed this. Everybody knows God. And everybody knows better. We suppress the truth about God because you and I want to live our own lives. Therefore, we are inexcusable, which is really crime number one. But then comes the next crime. We discussed it last week. Irreverence. We do not give God the honor of being God. And then comes crime number two, ingratitude. Refusing or failing to acknowledge receiving something good from God. Paul understands if we are thankful to someone for our blessings, that's an acknowledgement that he exists and that we should live better in light of it. But Paul is nowhere near finished 
listing the charges against humanity and their crimes against God. We looked at just the first half of the verse of Romans 1.21. This week I want us to look at the second half of Romans 1.21. Let's read it here in the text through verse 22. He says this, Instead, and he means of glorifying God, instead of being thankful to God, here's what we've done. Instead, their thinking became worthless and their senseless hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. Charge number three, write this down in your notes, is simply this, ignorance. Ignorance. Ignorance is a lack of knowledge, understanding, or information, and in this context, about life. How to live the good life the wise life, the moral life, a lack of knowledge, understanding, or information about life. Let's look at the verse more specifically. He says, first, our thinking has become worthless or our reasonings have become empty. We leave God entirely out of the question when it comes to life's existential issues. We frame our whole world view as if there is no God. And this has significant implications and ramifications for how you and I live out our daily lives. And we'll look at that more closely in a moment. But then after our thinking or our way of thinking becomes empty or devoid of God... Our hearts become darkened. We have, you and I, have dark hearts. Now what is the heart? The heart here is the seat of the entire personality. It includes all of our thoughts, all of our affections and feelings, all of our decisions and choices. And notice what Paul says, all of that has become darkened. When our reason is without our foundation, who is God, and our hearts are literally operating with not all the lights on, here's the takeaway. Here's how it affects humanity on an individual, national, and global scale. We cannot think correctly about God, life's existential questions, and moral issues. Without God, understand this, we need, we need God's revelation to understand God. You're not going to figure God out. Alright? The most pressing questions that humanity longs to know, you will not be able to answer without God. What is right and wrong, you won't be able to answer Without God. Let me give you an example. Please notice what I've put in your notes. We cannot answer these questions objectively. You might even want to underline the word objectively. Please don't don't infer from what I'm saying is that you cannot give an answer or an opinion about the following questions. Humanity has answers to these questions, but they're not objective. And what I mean is this, they're based either on your personal opinion or the collective opinion of a society or culture, but the point is this, 
We cannot claim that they are true regardless of our personal opinion or regardless of our collective opinion. In order to get an objective answer, you need a party from the outside to answer it. Do you catch this? You need someone looking out from the outside onto humanity to tell you whether you're right or wrong. But catch what we've done. When we suppress the truth of God and unrighteousness and we won't glorify God or give Him thanks, the very person that can tell you if you're really right or wrong, you won't let Him speak to the subject. So what questions, what questions are we attempting to answer without any objectivity? These are existential questions. These are questions that everybody wonders about. Number one, write it down. Where did we come from? Where did we come from? Now, humanity, we have come up with theories. But I want you to catch this. If you wind the evolutionary tape all the way back to the singularity before time, matter, and space began, and you ask this question, now what happened before that? My friend, you've just stepped into the realm of philosophy and religion. Your, your opinion, your ideas cease from that moment to be objective. All you can do is explain how we got here, but you can't say where or from whom. What was the first cause? We come up with ideas, but then there's always this question. Where did that come from? And where did that come from? There's an infinite regression of causes. But what happens if there's an eternal, beginningless, uncaused God? You might have an objective answer. Here's another one. Number, number two, what are we here for? What are we here for? This one, this one will keep you up at night. When you get deep in your soul that if there is no God and nature calls this randomly and you're just a more sophisticated rock, your life, your life has no objective meaning. You personally create the meaning. Whether you live a millisecond or a million years, it won't matter. I see people, when you think about it, you get depressed real quick. There is no meaning to life. You can come up with one. You're welcome to, but please remember, it's subjective. Hey, and somebody else's reason for why you may be here is just as good as yours. can become very oppressive as well. Have we seen people thwart that existential question? Absolutely. The third one, what is right and wrong? What is right and wrong? Understand if there's no God and there's no objective reality. On a personal level, right and wrong is a matter of preference, opinion, taboo. And on a collective level, it's just tradition. Peer pressure from people long dead. Catch that. If I steal your car, that's just an inconvenience. It's not that I've actually done anything really wrong. Put it on a mass scale, slavery, genocide. What culture is right to tell another culture you did evil? See, all of these things have no underpinning. You know what Paul says? It's empty, isn't it? It's dark out there, isn't it? 
without God. It is. It is. Ladies and gentlemen, too, in the own fights within our own country, and you hear the things coming out of politicians' mouth and news commentators, you go, how, how do they say that because of this verse? Because of this verse? Here's something that I find very surprising. Catch this. God has permitted us to suppress Him as the answer, but catch what He won't permit. He won't let you stop asking the questions. You ever thought about that? We can suppress the answer, but everybody's itching to know the question, have the questions asked. Somebody asked these questions. You can't leave humanity alone. We have to have an answer. I wonder why he left those questions there. In verse 22, Paul says they became fools. That verb in the Greek is where we get our word moron. In Greek societies, if you were labeled a moron, you deserved censure. You didn't deserve to be listened to. This is not a reference. Please catch this because this is where this verse gets perverted and the world hates it. I am not saying that people who don't believe in God are deficient in intelligence. That's not what this verse is saying. We're not saying you're just stupid. And if you were smarter, you would believe in God. These are smart people that I'm talking about. Probably much more intelligent than me and you. They are great thinkers. What Paul is saying is this, is no matter how great your thinking is, you can be the greatest philosopher, if it's devoid of God and spiritual discernment, it's worthless. Do you see that? He's not calling you stupid. He's saying, you can't answer the most important questions. So what? You could tell me about how all these other discipline works. I'm asking, where did you come from? Why on earth are you, are you here? And what is right and wrong? And they go, I can't answer that. He goes, then your knowledge amounts to what? Nothing. You're a fool. Not that you're an idiot. You don't deserve for us to listen to you. Sadly, the world seeks heroes among us who will boldly proclaim, proclaim without reservation, there is no God. It has become a sign of sophistication and intelligence in our age to refuse to acknowledge God's existence. Let me tell you what the Bible says about it. It is spiritual suicide. Don't listen to the culture on this one. There's nothing to redeem there. Reject it. In the 2016 movie I saw it this week, for those who know, pray for my family, uh, Disney Plus came out this week and it's done. I don't think we watched anything else on TV. Save me. <laughs> the Legend of Tarzan, the new one in 2016, the character Jane said this, and as soon as she said it, I, was, I had to write it down because it sums it up pretty good. She said this, We're from America, and my father's a professor, so I didn't grow up believing in spirits. Did you notice the assumption? America, intelligence, no belief in God. That one line sums up many Americans' attitude toward God. Whether you believe it or not, I'm telling you, it's the truth. Where Americans 
Everybody with any kind of intelligence knows there's no God. And that's the culture. And what Paul would say, no, <laughs> your thinking is worthless and your hearts are dark. That's written to all people everywhere. Let me challenge you, believers. Paul takes the same concept and applies it to believers in Ephesians 4, 17 through 18. Listen to this. This is written to Christians. Therefore, I say this and testify in the Lord. He's, I'm speaking in Jesus' name. You should no longer live as the Gentiles live in the futility of your thoughts. They are darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them and because of the hardness of their hearts. Did you catch this? Believers can live like they don't know God. See, believers, and I've, I've talked to some believers, I've seen their thinking be just as worthless. I've seen some believers' hearts who seem just as dark as a culture that doesn't claim to know God. Heaven forbid we have the same morality that the world does. Heaven forbid we, we, we believe that our reason on earth here is completely subjective. We know the truth. Why should we continue to live like we don't know the truth? Write it down. Stop ignoring God. I don't know what it is that some Christians think. It's like I punched my ticket to heaven and now I can go live however I want. You will find no such doctrine in the Bible. So stop ignoring him. You are acting like an unbeliever. And thank God I'm not the judge. Right? I would really tell you, you really want to question whether you know God or not. If on those existential questions your answers aren't any different than the world's, you have a fundamental spiritual problem. They're diametrically opposed. Remember the progression of charges. We're inexcusable, irreverent, ungrateful, ignorant. There's still more. Let's read the next verse, Romans 1, 23. And exchanged... Notice, and, again, more and more. And exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, four-footed animals, and reptiles. Charge number four in the total count, number two in today's sermon, is idolatry. Idolatry. Idolatry is divine honor paid to any created thing. Divine honor paid to any created thing. Basically is this. What's due to the creator, we give it to what? Creation. Now let me explain this. God is immortal, it says here in the text, meaning he is gloriously self-existent. He has no beginning. He has no end. He has no cause. He is uncaused. Everything else in the universe, okay? Everything else, visible and invisible, is mortal. Which means it will eventually do three things. Your neighbor beside you will do this. You ready? Disappoint, decay, and die. Everything else in the universe does those three things. Remember that. 
And then it says here we exchange glory for image. Glory is the manifestation of all of the goodness of God. It's a theologically loaded word. All of His invisible attributes, the ones that we've named so far, are His eternal power and His godness. They are visible through creation and we can perceive and apprehend them. Okay, please don't think what I'm saying here is that you have a direct connection, so to speak, to God through creation, like creation is God. What I'm saying is this, the Creator has made Himself evident through creation and has wired you and designed you for you to see it. That's why you have to suppress the truth and unrighteousness, because it's that clear. But notice what we've exchanged the immortal God for. Images. Of mortal man. Now remember this. Man and women, humanity, was made in whose image? God's. And here we've exchanged the glory of the one true living God for images of an image. Did you catch that? What are idols? Images of an image. Do you see how far removed from God we are? Instead of worshiping the real thing, we're serving a picture of a picture. That's how far we have gone to substituting God. Why do we ascend to such heights of hypocrisy to worship a picture of a picture instead of the glory of the immortal God? Why do we descend to such depths of depravity? Here's the deal, write it down. Suppression leads to to substitution. Suppression leads to substitution. Think about this church. Why can't we just be godless? Why can't we just go, catch this, why can't we go, we suppress God and we just go on and live our lives without having to worship anything? Do you catch what I'm asking you? Why can't we just erase God? Why can't we just suppress the impulse to worship? I like what Pastor Tim Keller says. We are telic creatures, T-E-L-L-I-C. And what he's talking about in the Greek, there's the word telos. And the word telos means goal, the desired end, the end game, the purpose. What are we here for? And here's what you don't realize. You may not have realized at this moment. You were created for something. You were created for something. You didn't just wash up on shore. You're not just a sophisticated rock. You've been put on this earth for something. You're a purposed people. You have a purpose. Every human has a purpose. Now, I've told you I'm not Calvinistic, but I'm semi. Not in soteriology, but other things. But I love what the Westminster Confession of Faith and the Shorter Catechism says. What is the chief end of man? What's the end game? What's the telos? And write this down. The chief end of man is this, to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. That's true no matter where you are. You say, why do I get up in the morning? Why was breath given in my lungs? 
Why do I go to work or school? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Glorify, this is, people ask me, that's my, Josh's living translation is to make much of. I'm here to make much of God, and let me tell you, you can't make much of something unless you don't enjoy it. You gotta enjoy Him, and you'll make much of Him. They go hand in hand, but here's what I want to point out to you. God will let you fill in the blank with whatever you want. You can glorify something else. Catch this, church. You can enjoy something else. Here's what I find fascinating. But what he won't let you do is not glorify something and not enjoy something. You're a telic creature. You're a purposed people. You were created for glorifying and enjoying. Do you catch that? That is your impulse. I've been put on the earth to glorify and enjoy. I can't help. I can't help. I can't suppress glorifying something. I can't suppress enjoying something. So you know what humanity has to resort to? Substitution. You see? We have to change the object of the glory. We have to change the object of our joy and satisfaction because you're built innate. You're going to glorify something. You're going to enjoy something. And God goes, let's see how it works. Let's play it out. What, what I've started to realize, we, only God is worthy of letting everything in our life orient around Him. He can keep it in its proper order. You take Him out of the center, your life gets wacky quick. A heart that cannot feed at God's table will feed somewhere else. It will. Isn't it ironic, catch this, that by rejecting a relationship with God, we created religion. Religion is humanity's irrational attempt to replace God. Because we can't stop glorifying. We can't stop enjoying. We sub it out. A missionary had gone to a certain part of India and had gone away and had given away New Testaments. A Hindu waited on him and asked him this question. Did you write the first chapter of Romans when you came here? Nope. 2,000 years ago it was written. This is humanity's problem, ladies and gentlemen. This is everywhere. And here's what we say. Well, where are we worshiping, you know, animals and birds and four-footed beasts and things like that. A sarcastic answer would be like falcons and bulldogs, but I'm not going to do that to you. Because <laughs> the falcons beat my saints last week. That was terrible. That's why I pull for the saints. I don't get into this trouble. But here's what we've done. We've become a little more sophisticated. Catch this. While we won't be so ancient or pre-modern to worship an animal, a cow, Right? What we will do is we still will worship an image. An image. It may not be a physical image, but we do worship mental images, mental pictures, or dare I say, dreams. What's your dream? You have a dream job in mind? A dream position? A dream salary? A dream number in the checking account or savings account. A dream house. A dream car. 
a dream relationship, a dream sexual experience, a dream marriage, a dream family, a dream body image, a dream vacation, a dream retirement goal. The list goes on and on. But you me tell you what I think about all these things? You can spend your life glorifying them. You can spend your life making much of them. You can spend your life enjoying those things. They can replace the one true living God. How do I know if my dream has become an idol? How do I know if I've substituted and, and worship an image, even if it's a mental image, rather than the one true living God? I'm going to give you an idol test. Write it down, an idol test. Something for you to evaluate your life on. Remember, your purpose is to glorify who? And to enjoy forever. But what else could you orient your life around? Number one, ask yourself this. Is it a created thing? Because catch that. You say, well, that could be everything. That's my point. There's only one thing worthy of worship and enjoyment. God. So, so you go, well, anything can become an idol. Now you're understanding me. It's a part of creation. Is it a creative thing? So the point is this. You can, all of us can easily answer this. Yes. All right? That doesn't mean it's an idol yet, but that's step one. You know what I mean? Like, check that box off. Number two, are you answering life's questions based on it? Are you answering life's questions based on it? Questions like, where did you come from? Here's the big one. What are you here for? Could you make a dream job the reason for your existence? Oh, yeah. Can I make my pursuit of my dissertation being finished the reason for my existence? Yeah. Right? With gentleness and respect, you can take even great things, being a husband and a father a spouse and a parent, and you can make that the reason for your existence. That's not the ultimate reason. That's not what it said there, to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Can you do that through those means? Absolutely. But you can tell when that thing becomes the center and you orient your life around it. And then what is right and wrong? Will you cut corners because of your pursuit of that thing? The third question are you thankful for what you have regardless? Are you thankful for what you have regardless? I put down the things that I know can become idols in my life with gentleness and respect. Academia is important to me. I know some of you are going, you're crazy. I get it. I am. I don't say I'm not. Pastoring. I love this. My family. I love them. And it's a hard thing to accept, but, but this, if I had none of those, could I live to glorify God and enjoy Him forever? That's, that's a, that's a soul-searching question. And He's given those things for our enjoyment. I'm just saying, who's substituting? That's, a, that's what I'm asking. Does He occupy the preeminence? Number four, is it causing you to ignore God or others? 
ignore God or others? Or put it this way, does it change your way of thinking about God or others? Can I confess one? This is one that's not been as bad <laughs> as in the past. I never forget being in my bachelor pad watching Sports Center. And somehow, some way, like the Spirit of God, I'm, I, I'm not trying to attribute anything crazy to this, but I'm being honest, convicted me in a moment watching Sports Center. Because I was sitting there and I said, and I had this thought, I had this dialogue inside saying, Man, these are two grown men arguing over what other grown men are doing on a football field that won't matter a million years from now. That's so stupid. And then I said, wait a minute. They're getting paid to do that. And I'm here watching them do it. I'm so stupid. <laughs> I don't mean it's wrong to do it, but you catch what I'm talking about? Like, we'll sit there and watch Sports Center for an hour and can't make it to Sunday school. You catch what I mean? We'll, we'll watch Fox News for an hour and can't come to prayer meeting. And I'm not trying to be just guilty, but I mean, like, that just shows you, like, yo. Wow. Like at some point you got to go like, is this just causing me to ignore God? There's other better valuable things to be doing with my time, energy, and resources. Making much of something else. And then number five, can you pray? Can you pray this to God with or without it? I want to glorify you, thank you, live for you, and enjoy you now and forevermore. That's hard. I ain't going to lie to you. I'm telling you right now, as much time, energy, and resource have been poured into my education, I go, and I don't get that doctorate? Can I enjoy God? See what I'm saying? Yeah. Can I go, I'm going to give him much glory regardless. Use whatever your thing may be. I don't know what it is. I'm just saying this because the point is this. It can be anything. That can sub him out. Back to Lars and the real girl. Lars eventually interacts with a real woman named Margot. And he begins to like her. Lars eventually has Bianca, the life-size plastic woman, admitted to a hospital because she's sick. And later she dies. Lars and the community mourn. But soon Lars takes the next right step to living a more normal life by asking Margot out for a walk. That's the way the movie ends. I find it interesting. Colossians 3, 5. Therefore, put to death what belongs to your sinful nature Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. You know what we need to do? We need to do what Lars did. Put your idols to death. Write it down. Put your idols to death, and y'all, they'll fight you. It might be a wrestling match to choke it out. Put your idols to death and live to glorify and enjoy the one true living God. Go take a walk with him. 
A man went out walking one winter night in his own region of Switzerland and was confronted suddenly with a blinding snowstorm. In the storm, he lost his way and wandered in uncharted directions. When the storm subsided, he looked behind him and discovered to his shock and horror that he walked across an only partially frozen lake with thin ice. When he, safe, when he got safely to shore, he gave thanks to God for his mercy on his foolish behavior. He should have never willfully wandered around in that blizzard, but simply stopped where he began. Ladies and gentlemen, we're all sinners. Nobody can be holier than thou and point our, per, point our finger at the next person. You and I are all lost. We've all been wandering around in the snowstorm without any direction, walking across thin ice, and here's what God has called us to do. Repentance. Stop! Stop! Stop ignoring me. Stop substituting me for other things. They're only going to get you into more danger. In His rich, abundant kindness, love, mercy, and grace, He gave His Son, Jesus, to come live and die in blood and cross for our sins to span the chasm between us and the one true living God and to absorb God's righteous wrath that we so easily deserve. And God raised Jesus from the dead and gave Him a name above every name. There is no other name given under heaven by which we can be delivered from the dangers of our sin. It's only Jesus. It's only Jesus who's the exact representation and the glory of God the Father. Church, there is no substitute. Thanks for listening to Mount Carmel Baptist Church's weekly Sunday worship service message. Mount Carmel is located in Demarest, Georgia. Please join us this Sunday at 11 a.m. To plan your visit, go to mtcarmeldemarest.com.